That's a bit of a weird, weird one. I don't know, don't quite know whether that's worked or not. Can you hear me? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm here. Hello. Uh, let's see if Big Face works. Hello, hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, oh, that's a bit bleachy. Hello. How y'all doing? Can you hear me? Good. We're in. Oh, sorry about that slight delay. Uh, I don't know why YouTube is being very slow, but uh, there's there's enough going on in the world that I'm not going to question it too much. Oh, so let's crack on, shall we? Uh, we are tonight talking about, well, for a variety of reasons uh, that have been in the news, we're talking about um, Network Rail's climate adaptation report, the update to it. The last one, I think, was issued back in, um, was it 2015 or possibly 2018? Uh, there have been previous two previous uh, adaptation reports. We're going to be looking at the third one, which was released a couple of weeks ago. So that's the plan for tonight. Uh, you can see me. You can hear me. Excellent. Let's crack. Let's let's not do my usual waffling nonsense. Let us crack on. So, I just all I have is James Acaster. Yes, yeah, I, I, I just have James Acaster's voice in my head saying "Let's crack on" whenever I now say that, and I find myself saying it awfully frequently. So, <laughs> uh, let's first of all start by looking at the, uh, the the transport statistics, the COVID transport statistics. Um, let's see. So we have got. Let's get my whackam out. Uh, mainly a bit of a dent but that's because of the storm so there's been a bit of a drop you can see um kind of at the end uh, here uh, there's been a bit of a drop again in 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 particularly rail ridership uh, and also in cycling as well you'd see the cycling's taken a drop and then actually bus and uh, bus and uh, roads you know private road usage has has, has shot upwards i think that's because of the storms so if we jump if we jump and zoom in a bit um you can see i've added i've added the 24th of february uh, i've added a yellow thing because on the 24th of feb was when um all of the measures were were removed wasn't it so that was that was the end of the measures so we get to have a look and see what difference that's made in terms of um in terms of the use of public transport everything has shot up since then actually there has been a, a general shooting shooting up provisionally you can see if you zoom in here you can see there's been a there's been the rise that generally undercounts. The key point to make is that rail um, pre storms uh, rail had reached about um, about seventy five to eighty percent of pre COVID ridership. So we're looking to see that shoot up pretty rapidly now. There's there should be nothing now between here and summer blocking that, other than. The fact that lots of services, the the various train operators are running, still running between sixty and eighty percent of the pre-COVID uh, timetable, uh, which is rubbish, um, absolutely rubbish. You know why? Why is that still the case? But it is. Um, so yeah. So so the the sooner that um, you know L and E R or not, they've been running a full service since I think the start of February, in fact, or certainly early in February. But Transpennine are running a sixty percent timetable, so not good enough. Um, uh, good, yes, right. Any thoughts? Any any thoughts on that? No, not much. Uh, not much else to say really about the COVID stats. We shall watch them with 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 interest as 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 we progress you know, as the year progresses. But I expect this to become less interesting as uh, fairly soon because I think we'll be reaching. Um, I mean, I hope they keep publishing it for quite a while. It'd be quite nice if they just published it. Every, they just published this. <laughs> it's a good data set. What would be nice is if they split it by um, train operating company, because it would give us a better idea geographically of where is, uh, you know, what the split is and, and which train operators are, are in, in, in better nick. Um, 
Yeah, Robin Weston is saying the timetable's absolutely rubbish. Yeah, the, the timetable's dreadful. Um, there's just, it's just, particularly up this end of the country, it's just a real mess. Um, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, that's a very good point, actually. I haven't got put a news item in that, but absolutely. Solidarity. I mean, firstly, solidarity to uh, UCU strikers, everyone, you know, academic strikers across the country, but also solidarity to all of those out, uh, those in the RMT striking for London Underground. Um Want, they're having their pensions squeezed as a result. It's not anything to do with Sadiq Khan. All the all the spin trying to make it as if it's Sadiq's Khan, Sadiq Khan's fault. But um, no, no, it's uh, it's 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 DFT. It's it's chaps. They're for pointlessly squeezing, um, absolutely pointlessly squeezing TFL's finances for no reason other than just because they can. That's the only reason they're doing it. So um, yes. Uh, Vivek Ville is pointing out that it's a little bit that splitting by train operating companies is a bit fudgy with the timetabling predictions. Yeah, that, yes, but it would be nice if by splitting it, attempt to split it because it would be very helpful to get, you know, if they probably continue to publish this data set, so exactly as it is now, but also a provisional one with, with a provisional split, you know, of, of, of pre-COVID levels for each of the different train operating companies. And, you know, they could caveat out saying this isn't, perfectly accurate but it'd be very interesting to see even a, a broad sweep of what the, that looks like um the transport for wales gareth williams is saying that the uh the transport for wales timetable seems just way out yeah a lot of people saying that the timetables are just look just look a real mess compared to what they used to be um yeah i, I hope that there are plans for that to return to normal within the month yeah there's, there's no reason for it not to be frankly none at all right the news Ugh. yeah the news um Yes, Ukrainian railways. Uh, this felt like a lens through which to look at the obvious and main news of the moment, which is that uh, Putin has invaded Ukraine and is currently bombing it to high, hell, bombing uh, Kharkiv and uh, and Kiev to to high hell as well as some of the other, other cities. You know what what is there that we can say about this? Absolutely, absolutely nothing. There's nothing we can discuss that's useful here, other than like there are some seriously stupid takes out there from all sides of the political spectrum. But given that we have to judge our own, there are some incredibly stupid leftist takes out there about the idea that NATO has anything to do with it. Okay, long term, if you look back at what at the, the political failings, not, not just about NATO, but actually just the general political failings, our failure to integrate Russia into the, the wider um, world kind of sphere in the 90s was, a mis was an error. That was a fundamental error. That's, that has laid some of the groundwork for, for what's happening now. Um, our, our disinterest, or, or rather kind of our almost waving on of Russia to become a, a kind of a mob state with, with Putin's sort of cronies making huge amounts of money out of Russia's natural resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea that NATO is directly responsible for um, Russia, and, and should I say specifically Putin and the Kremlin invading Ukraine, is a really stupid take i'm sorry <laughs> it's just a really stupid take uh and it's like it's like it's like a, a strange circular loop of uh of 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 like trying to find a way to to, to be anti-western imperialism whilst just ignoring geopolitics don't do that folks like there can be multiple bad things there can absolutely be multiple bad things um so uh yeah if you if you see that take call it out because it's stupid um, yeah, loads of bad takes. Lots of you know, be very careful about. Yeah, you know, and and we're all guilty of it. Like, 
my t- I've, I've not I've been trying not to retweet loads and loads of things because you know there's there's plenty of you know we can we can all see that. But when I spot something that I think is is worthy and interesting and, and that that made me think I'll, I'll retweet it or I'll share it. Um, the, the key thing to to discuss is the fact that um, Putin's lost this war. That doesn't mean that he's not going to continue to inflict huge amounts of untold misery on the Ukrainian people and indeed, you know, um, causing a huge amount of harm to, to a lot of uh, Russian boys and, and men. You know, th- th- there's a huge amount of misery on that front as well. But, you know, let's face it, they are the aggressor. So we have to sort of look at, look and focus our attention on the, the plight of the Ukrainian people. Um and people who are living in Ukraine, not just Ukrainians, but all the students, all the kind of the international kind of um, visitors and, and, and people living there who, who've also been displaced. Um, I'm glad to see, actually, that the, that the Ukrainian government has just put out a hotline for people to contact for, for, for African and Asian um, people to, to kind of uh, or kind of actually basically for for people of color, actually, because there has been uh problem there have been problems at the border for people of color getting across the border um but basically everyone who's suffering as a result of um putin's aggression we have to look at the the mis- so that's going to continue but putin lost this war um within a couple of days because he just logist his logistics were hopeless he was hoping that a two-day sprint and he'd be on top of it and um and he hasn't been uh, but he has lost he has absolutely lost that doesn't mean that the suffering is not going to continue for weeks or months or longer um, why do I say he's lost? Because he failed to cap. Because rather than going in without causing much damage and swapping the government and being able to start his project, he has created martyr either heroes or martyrs of the Ukrainian, the current Ukrainian government. He has embedded a deep hatred of uh, of Russia in a way that never really existed before. Uh, between Ukrainians and Russians, which will be impossible to for him to to, to get rid of. And it's quite clear that his armed forces are just hopelessly outclassed um they're just hopeless you know his his armed forces have been absolutely shambolic not just the logistics but the 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 morale on the ground uh, their ability to direct um force uh, other than just damaging aerial bombardments which to be honest aren't achieving much other than just human suffering and misery um so yeah he there is absolutely zero chance that he can successfully hold ukraine um, and to be honest, the likelihood of him managing to get across the whole country and take over are, are pretty slim. So, so he he has lost. He has absolutely lost this war. He might win a few battles, but he has lost this war, um, which shouldn't bring us much comfort because, as we say, it's caught, there's a lot of misery for the for the Ukrainian people. But this map is a map of the Ukrainian railways showing that they put out um, uh, today, even showing where. Uh, where their system is still working for people to evacuate out of the country if they need to be, or to move from one city to another. Uh, a lot of people moving towards Lviv. Uh, Lviv over, if I know my Cyrillic, uh, Lviv is over here. This is Lviv here. There's Lviv. Lviv there. Um, uh, yes, so then you can see, uh, and in a way, this is a lens for which we can see where, where the Russian attacks are, are having an impact. And it's very much in this surge here, which is uh, near Kharkiv. Um, uh, this is this side, um, and uh, and then in, uh, kind of on this side of the of the country as well. And then obviously kind of coming up from Crimea as well. So you can see where the where the impact is being had. But actually, not so. You know, it's it's they're they're not penetrating. This is a key thing that the Russian forces are not penetrating particularly well. Anyway. Lots of people who actually know lots more about logistics and military things can can talk about that. But anyway, um, there, there are quite a few good sources out there to, to, to keep on top of the situation. Um, it's worth noting that the Russian military has, is losing decile percentages of its mechanized and armored um, forces in, in already, uh, which is which is not bode well. They can't build that 
that that's you know that's decades of of, of armament that they're just losing in 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 a, in a few days. It's it's ho- pretty horrifying. Anyway, um, so solidarity really to um to uh, to the Ukrainian railways. I would the Cyrillic is um I can't pronounce Ukrainian so well. If it was if it was like uh, if it was slightly further South Slavic, uh, I'd be better pronouncing it. But Ukrainian slightly um slightly more northern slavic and, and eastern slavic and well, actually it's very much eastern slavic and i'm, I'm that my pronunciation is, is not so good so i'm not i'm not going to attempt it there's some nice uh and um uh in there that i'm, I'm not going to actually some news i think in there but uh, yeah i'm i'm, I'm not going to attempt it but uh absolutely uh putin is 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 taking on amongst other things taking on the ukrainian railways and the ukrainian railways are, are winning Oh, it's just miserable all round. So let's 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 part that. It would be stu- It would have been f- obscene for me to have uh, ignored that that situation. But let's uh, let's have a look at the next news thing. The the, the rest of the news. Um, jumping quite dramatically to something entirely different. Um, quite an interesting little uh, little piece that uh, I was pleased to see Network Rail uh, publishing, which is um that uh, there's a, a a logging you know some some logging uh, the logging industry in, in and around Abergavenny have been uh, moving logs by rail again for the first time since like I don't know like 2006 or 2004 quite a long time uh, nearly 20 years but uh just pointing out that carrying logs any distance on lorries is is bonkers uh, put it on a train folks <laughs> it's, the railways are perfect for this sort of mass uh you know you know kind of uh, bulk bulk haulage railways are what what you should be using so, uh, so it's quite good to see that happening that's in Abergavenny lovely yes it is in Wales um what else um ah, yeah the northern agenda rob parsons hello rob shout out to rob um uh has published actually rob and and jen as well jen uh, is in the work kind of uh, supports well both rob and jen uh, uh published the northern agenda so the northern agenda they have looked at they, they've kind of done, done a bit of polling looking at buses um across the north and the kind of the general theme is uh, give the north back its buses and and it's and and it's interesting. It's always interesting to look at these. Just like it's interesting to look at the um, the National Passenger Survey in relation to rail. It's interesting to look at these results in relation to buses. So um, would it improve? This is just a perception. So there's a lot of people saying, um, would it improve services if buses were under public control as they are in London? And the and and fifty percent of people are like, yes, it would improve it a lot. And then another seventeen percent are yes, it would improve. So that's like seventy percent of people. This 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 lot. Up, 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 and up. This, this, this much. That's that's a weird mushroom shape there. Uh, that's seventy percent of people. Seventy percent of people who think that to who who perceive, and frankly, rightly so, that um, bus services would improve if they were under public control as they are in London. So it's quite clear that there is a strong feeling about this in the in the north. Um, so these this, these sorts of uh, open questions are also very useful. So this, the, these ones here. Um, if you choose not to use the bus, what is putting you off? Let's look at the top three things. Okay, there's lots of other entries that obviously fill. So we'll kind of we'll, we'll ignore those. But the top three things um, are uh, firstly about frequency. Actually, really, these are two of the same, really. So this, this, these are two responses. One is buses not regular enough. Two is buses don't come at right times. That's just about frequency. So that's very much like a, a, a frequency. Frequency is freedom. There we are. The reason I hesitated because I was wondering whether my face was underneath it. Frequency is freedom. Um, uh, so that, that whole section there, what is that? That's 40% of people are like, there aren't enough buses. And then the remaining section is talking about the, about expense, about the fact that buses are too expensive, which is absolutely true. Um, 
Uh, oh, actually, I've got top chat, not live chat. Sorry, everyone. I'll flip this over to live chat so I can see what you're saying. Hello, everyone. Um, do 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 say hello in the chat to make sure I know it's still working. Um, so, uh, and then the other thing is is uh, about not convenient. That's probably about frequency again, actually. So it's almost 50%. Let's call it 50%. Uh, almost who are like not, not not frequent enough, and then and then speed actually is another feature. People talk about speed; the buses are too slow, and that is related to uh, traffic. By and large, that's a traffic thing. Um, so if you've got lots of traffic, so what are the ways we can uh, improve bus services? Well, I'd say um, uh, bus lanes uh, and general kind of getting rid of car. Actually, no, no, let's, let's, let's so so let's 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 go big face. So we've got what are the things there? We've got we've got frequency and and cost and speed. Frequency, cost, speed are the three things that are annoying people. Frequency and uh, so frequency and speed are a mixture of uh, just run more buses, but also um, get rid of cars, so you've got more space for to run buses. So more bus lanes, more bus only roads, uh, more modal filters, and then uh, so that covers speed and, and convenience and not enough buses. And then in terms of uh, of, of of expense, well, partly. You can bring fares down if you've got more people traveling, if you've made it more convenient, because that's helpful. But also generally franchising of buses at minimum, ideally bringing them in-house to be entirely kind of uh, council run, allows you to to have a, um, a fare card system like a bit, a bit like Oyster Card or contactless, um, kind of just a single single tap system, which if, if not literally brings cost prices down, certainly improves people's perception of of, of convenience and, and ease of use so yeah big time um those are th those are the, the ways to fix that problem it's not rocket science um yeah it's good to see that and then people talk about how often they use the bus uh you've got it's interesting isn't it you've got a mixture of people who like occasionally use the bus so i so i'd fit into this camp here i don't use the bus that often actually um I use it every now and then but not frequently and then you've got other people who use it loads and rely on it loads, and that's pretty much the split. You've got, you've got, I'd say almost you could sort of, and you've actually once or twice a week, is you can see that buses are are actually a really important part of people's lives. You know, you've got you've got occasionally occupies a large space. You've got people who clearly like this this bit I'm shading. One in four people rely on the bus as a matter of that's how I travel around. That's a size. One in four people relying on the bus is a sizable. That's a sizable chunk of people. And then for for out three out of four people to make use of the bus like and then 70 percent three or four days a week that's that's a lot of people who are using the bus pretty regularly you know that's what is that 25 22 that's uh, uh let me do my math 22 30 that's the 40 percent 40 plus that's like 65 percent of bit like the best part of 65 percent of people 64 percent of people who are using the bus regularly and frequently that's a lot of that's that's basic that, that's the best part of like uh kind of one in uh what is that one in it's not it's like uh three out of five three in five people are relying on the bus buses are so important so uh, make them better there we go buses um uh integrated ticketing absolutely gareth williams yeah for sure david shepherd how much faster do things get if buses get upgraded to trams uh, a bit but but i think to be honest a lot of the case if you reduce traffic if you if you get rid of you know, you just block cars you make it horrible to drive you get rid of public parking um, these things all help buses, so so they, they're fairly easy things to, um, uh, yeah, they're they're fairly fairly easy things to 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 activate, and and you do that by congestion charging. You do it by congestion charging made a huge difference to speed the, sp the average speed of buses and and therefore ridership in London when it was introduced. So that's that's an easy a big win. Anyway, lots of scribbling. 
Oh, now this is the um, this is this is the kind of the most relevant news and why this episode feels like a good one to have done this week. We are still almost doomed. Uh, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, published its sixth assessment report um, of of the state of play of climate change, and this one is specifically looking at um, the impacts, uh, the, the an adaptation and vulnerability. So it's not looking at ways we can tackle climate change. It's specifically looking at how we respond to it. Um, so it's it's a uh, you know, the, the, and and there are some uncomfortable realities coming out of the um, yeah some uncomfortable realities in this report that are worth picking up on, which is what we're going to do this episode. Um, and given that it's nineteen twenty one, I think it's time we cracked on. Let's get started with tonight's episode, shall we? Welcome to tonight's rail matter. <laughs> City 225 fades away. Dave is pointing out that Boris Johnson was slating low emission zones at Prime Minister's questions today. He wants to remove them specifically in Manchester. Oh, this is just him being absolutely partisan and tackling Burnham. It's just, it's it's an, it's an a Burnham attack line and, and frankly, you can go to hell. Um, I'm maybe not Burnham's biggest fan, but the, the low emission zones are just an absolutely, and it's also a, a can thing. They are an absolute no-brainer. Um, uh, Barry Jones points out when congestion. Sh- oh, let's get my big. Let's get my big old mug back. Barry Jones is pointing out humorously that uh, uh, when congestion charging started in London on one trip, I overshot my destination by three stops because I hadn't realised how fast we were moving. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, yes, I, and Simon, I agree. We do need a clean air zone standard. They are all different, and it's a little confusing. I think we should be striving for um for kind of uh, a, a standard uh, a standard across across all cities, and and frankly, all cities of a hundred thousand people or more should have clean air zones in their in their centres and, and ideally growing out and out but start certainly starting within the centre of the city depending on what shape it is let's um let's get my miniaturised face up in the top corner and jump back to 1938 why you might ask why well because we need to briefly talk about Guy Stewart Callender back in 1938 Guy Stewart Callender was the first person to um was the first person to basically put two and two together and point out that uh well, weirdly, he did it in a way that he said was positive and favourable and it would stave off future uh, ice ages. But he said that the, that thanks to increasing CO2 levels in the atmosphere, we were going to see an increase in in in, in average temperatures across the planet. Um, and uh, yeah, he was he, so it's quite interesting. He was he was a he was a steam engineer and um, and, and he, he he did. Interestingly, he also got involved in, in looking at batteries and fuel cells, which is kind of uh, relevant. He started out working on turbines and bits and pieces, but he was he was sort of an amateur in in, in climatology, and uh, but he was the the first person to demonstrate that the that land temperature had increased um, since uh, for for the pre- preceding fifty years. He was looking at data, um, and it was a theory that had early been proposed uh, earlier been proposed um, uh, by someone else, but it ended up getting called the calendar effect. Uh, because he was kind of the first to, to kind of demonstrate this fact. Um, he hadn't proposed it, but he did demonstrate it. Um, and, and it is like his main contribution was very much like, uh, yeah, more more CO2 concentration means increase in global temperatures. And you might think, oh, well, that's all fine and good. But, uh, you know, it, that was 1938. Jump for us to 2022. And I'm afraid to say 
that, uh, yeah, quite. Uh, I'm afraid to, oh, you know what I need to do? Wait a minute, watch this, watch this. I'm going to go in here and let's just, just drag this. There we are. That's just, you'll see what I'm doing. There, and then I'm going to do the same here just to make sure that my face doesn't get in the way of the slides. There we go. Oh, there, good, that's better. Um, Yes. The, uh, so these are the extracts from the IPCC. Uh, so this is the report. This is the report they published. Um, um, climate change, a threat to human well-being and health of the planet. Uh, taking action now can secure our future. This is the kind of the key takeaway headline that they're, they're, they're saying. But there actually, it's, there is a quote that's, that I'm going to find. I'm going to go into my Twitter, my tweet bookmarks, because there is a, yeah, there's, there's the final, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll quote this in a second. But, but so th these are kind of, and there are two headline outcomes of, the, of this report, the climate report. That uh, we're not going to dwell on this report right now. We're, we're looking just at the, the network rail report. But I thought it's worth pulling out these two kind of kind of themes. Um, Human-induced climate change is causing dangerous and widespread disruption in nature and affecting the lives of billions of people around the world. Um, temporarily exceeding global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius will result in severe impacts for nature, some of which will be irreversible. These are locked in. And actually, as, as Leo Hickman pointed out earlier today, um, or not earlier today, actually, back in the February 28th, um, this, this is the final sentence of the, of the IPCC report. The final sentence says, the, the scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well-being and the health of the planet, and any further delay in concerted global action will miss a brief and rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. That's an excruciatingly uh, doomy future outlook and, and and just to point out there is the, the, the every sort of statement like that has like a probability next to it and um and and this is like um statistically like like it's the the, the little square brackets after this is very likely high consensus on this so yeah bad things are going to be happening and we need to be and we talked about the onion of doom last week didn't we the onion of doom is quite explicit we need to be doing the stuff now not not in 2049, but right now, as quickly as possible. That's the key thing. Um, anyway, so everyone is here. Uh, if I if, if I shave my beard off, I could portray uh, that guy, literally guy, Guy Callender, um, in a documentary. Thank you very much, David Shepard. Very, very good. Right. Oh, so um, this is relevant to us. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm sorry Rail Natter so often comes down to just England, Scotland and Wales looking through the network rail lens, but it's uh, this. It's better that I work, I speak about what I know and what I'm familiar with, and then people who, who know better can, can transfer. I try to keep into, I try to do international stuff to contextualise this, but actually it's better that I talk within the realm that I know, and then uh, people from other places, or if you've got, you know, it, it, it's relevant, it's certainly applicable to other, um, other dominions, nations, countries, territories, authorities, but I'll, I'll stick with what i know which is why i do so much network rail stuff because i know network rail i know uh, i know the the infrastructure i know the the way that things work so that's why i look at network rail and indeed um back in 2015 network rail published its climate change adaptation report i think possibly the first or the second one i can't remember but i quote this one quite a bit when i'm doing lecturing but they have released a new one so that's the 2015 one and in 2021 in december 21 actually but they published it more recently than that um the for some reason i can't quite remember why the um their third or maybe the press release was more recently but anyway december 2021 was is the date for their third adaptation report and that's what we're going to look at today we're going to look at that right now in fact so let's do precisely that 
let us um, bring the report up. It's a classic page turn, folks. Uh, oh, you know what I need to do, though? I need to get my mouse up so that you can see my mouse. There it is. My mouse is here. You can see it. everyone. Everyone see the mouse? Lovely. Um, put NIR data in railway data sets. Well, yes, that'd be nice. It'd be nice. Yeah, well, this is why I'm always explicit. To say, I, I try to always remember to be uh, Richard Smith. Very good point. I always try to be explicit about um, that I'm doing GB. So the, 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 big, the big blobby island and, and not... Not Northern Ireland. I'm not doing UK. I'm doing GB because Network Rail is just GB. It's not Northern Ireland. Um, so I try to always be explicit. I try to always remember to say GB when I mean GB and UK when I mean UK. So let's do it. Let's have a look. I think this this thing's 115 pages long, but we're going to kind of whiz through. I, I, we're not going to dwell on the. We, we, there's plenty of stuff that we can probably whiz through fairly fairly rapidly. Um, uh, no. So people are saying how much of this report would have been gutted by Treasury. No. Well. Uh, yeah. Well, let's see, shall we? So I've not picked through this in, in 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 any detail yet. So so let's see. But for the most part, it's it's talking about there will be things that Treasury will limit in terms of the maintenance budgets. But for the most part, this is kind of smaller fry stuff and and, and procedural stuff. So yeah, I mean, Treasury could spend an extra three or four billion a year to allow Network Rail to get on top of its renewal cycle, so that it was not always fighting a losing battle because very much network rail is always fighting a losing battle it's got as 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 i say in my lectures it's got this this triple whammy of um cl the climate's getting worse we're seeing more extreme events infrastructure is aging more quickly than we can get on top of renewals and we want to be carrying more trains so it's the triple whammy of three things all battling that are making it harder and harder to keep on top of um on top of ensuring our infrastructure is safe uh, resilient and reliable so, right, let's have a look at the report. Let's do it. So, uh, there's the contents. There's some stuff about blah, 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 blah. So, there's, what is it? It's broken into, oh, crikey, nine, nine sections. We've got an introduction, adaptation reporting power, climate governance at Network Rail, um, st strategies and plans, um, uh, the, our approach to assessing climate change risk, uh, interdependencies, which is a, an ominous and interesting-looking page. Um, just a, a couple of pages of that. Our climate change risks, um, adaptation actions and progress that'll be like measuring a lot of that might be kind of looking at uh, specifically looking at how, how the metrics to actually measure progress and success um, uh, conclusions and then some some appendices at the end so let's see so it's 110 pages of, or, or more 112 pages of content let's see what we what we get through and what we can skip through uh, here's Andrew Haynes looking quite cheerful hello Andrew um, that, that we don't that's fine it doesn't matter uh, and to be honest, skip the executive summary. We don't need to worry about that. Let's see. Well, actually, we can look at the, the headlines. So they're saying adverse and extreme weather is accelerating deterioration of our assets. Yep, I just said that. Network Rail and the adaptation reporting power. Uh, so this is talking about the, the legal framework within which Network Rail have to report this stuff. as, as a So so the, the electricity companies have to do the same thing, actually. Certainly National Grid does. Oof, I'm going to have to drink some water from a bottle I bought in Munich Airport, which is a dreadful airport, by the way. Mm. Oh, well, that's, 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 the water's not from a week ago, by the way. Anyway, um, uh, lots of people saying things, all oh, right, crikey, yeah, Dave's pointing out that the Heart of Wales line literally washed away in places recently, yep, uh, Matt Reed is saying, if money was no object, how would you solve those three problems? Oh, that's, that's a whole episode in and of itself, Matt. Um, and Gareth Williams is saying, um, uh, to Simon, actually, and to me, uh, once went to a talk by Arthur Scargill, who seriously believed that we needed to move back to coal power generation and also steam trains. Oh, don't. Uh, Tosh, what's his last name? Tosh, who's As is he Aslef, was saying much the same thing. Just absolute 
nonsense about coal and about the fact we need to get back to our coal. There are some particular characters within the union movement, and frankly, they're a diminishing bunch who are just crack who are absolutely crackers and think we need to go back to that time. And, and frankly, they're best ejected from the U like just best ignored, politely ignored. Give them a gift voucher and tell them to bugger off. Anyway, um, what else have we got? Action speak louder than words. Well, yeah, you've said that, but this is a report, um, so fine. Strategies and programs, risk management, action plans, standards, guides. Okay, so it's just kind of outlining what's happening. Research and analysis, collaboration, engagement, all very nice, lovely stuff. Uh, some cross-references to... So, right, the, the ARP, is. it's worth just saying what the ARP is. The ARP is the, um, the adaptation reporting power and um, and the third report. Uh, so this is ARP3 is what this report is describing. Maybe we'll explain that a little bit more later, but that's part of the, that, that, that sort of um, statement is part of the requirements of the Climate Change Act 2008. So that's kind of related to the legal instrument that empowers uh, various government bodies, government adjacent bodies to, to have to do this stuff, to show that they are, um, not only minimising the impacts as best they can, but also preparing for the future um, effects of climate change. So, uh, lovely. And this is the cross-reference to sort of talk about it. So, here we are, shiny big buttons. I look forward to the moment the network rail changes everything to RA2. Uh, but anyway... Introduction. So, uh, this is we well we know this stuff. We know who network rail is. They operate some stuff. Twenty thousand miles of track, thirty thousand bridges, blah 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 blah. Loads of stuff. So this is the, their strategic priorities: safety, service delivery, efficiency, sustainable growth, customers and communities, people. Fine. Yep. Lovely. Um, uh, region and route functions. So the the region supports one or more routes. Uh, plans and response to what passengers want and need from the railway. The routes deliver local operations, maintenance and renewals, and are responsible for day to day delivery of train performance. So here are the um, you can see the regions are the coloured. So there's this one, two, three, four, five regions. There are five regions, um, and uh, and then each of those there are fifteen routes. So you've got Scotland is just one thing. Well, I mean, I just—it's worth pointing out that I, as I've said before about what structure the railway should have, I don't agree with the structure for network rail. I think that network rail should be structured around the trans, the subnational transport bodies. But anyway, um, kind of by the by, but people broadly should be familiar with these. They follow the, they they essentially follow the. I mean, there's no logic to it. It's, it's as ridiculous as all of the other. Some, who was it? John Stone or John Elledge? No, it was Steve. Actually, it was Steve. It was Respros on Twitter. Um pointed out how stupid all of the unitary authorities and, and various boundary authorities constituencies so on are in the in the uk it's just nonsense and and these boundaries are no different because they're based on the net rail network of old anyway yeah yeah yeah. so there you go that's the structure of it um and so here we go so this is this is good stuff so this is this is the sort of thing that i quote in in my lectures about sustainability which is the challenges how does the weather affect our railway and this kind of explains that weather is an impact of your climate is is the average of all weather over 30 years like by its definition, that's what it is. Uh, and weather is the things, the way that climate manifests itself uh, day to day. So there's lots of different things here that have been listed off. Effects from weather events. So things like adhesion, line contamination, lead to traction loss. So that's like thing wind windiness can lead to except like leaf fall that exceeds the amount that the that the um, the the railhead treatment train can can go around and clear. Uh, ice accumulation from cold, flooding, obviously you know fog, which is not great for obscuring signals. Um, heat resulting to things like track buckle, you know, uh, rail buckles, um, OLE problems, overheated electrics, uh, lightning strikes. Uh, I know the text is a little bit small on this. Uh, if it, I don't know, hopefully it's not uh, too much of an issue. Um, 
let's see, uh, da -da -da -da. people are talking about um, NR Sands, uh, and there's some typeface chat in the chat, that's fine, good. Line strikes, snow, uh, subsidence, uh, landslips, etc., and wind, these are some of the impacts, and um, yeah, so th these are kind of all the standard things. We've talked about quite a few of these in, in episodes of Real Natter, actually, haven't we? So we we've covered some of this stuff. Uh, it's talking about delay, uh, how many delay events occurred um, since the, the numbers have been started. So 322,000 events that have caused delays as a result of uh, weather events. Um, so this is looking at uh, weather-related Schedule 4 cancellations. It's 200 million, which actually is not that much. I'd expect it to be more, but still, you know, 200 million quid is a lot of money, um, relatively speaking, from, from, from a maintenance budget perspective. That is quite a lot of money. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's saying it should be noted that not all incidents are collect correctly attributed to weather, and these figures are likely to be conservative, with the actual cost being much higher. So this, they're pointing out that actually the impacts are, are probably a lot worse than, than is considered. And here's a nice picture of some straight railway. That's quite nice, isn't it? I like that. I wonder where it is. Far north? Looks a bit like the far north line, couldn't it be? Uh, yeah, it's nice. I like that. Anyway, um, lovely. <laughs> so, uh, what else have we got here? Ah, right. So uh, these figures show the cumulative costs for each of the impact categories uh, across the whole network for, for GB. Um, it can be, nationally, it can be seen that the two biggest challenges to our service come from wind and flooding incidents. Um, so there we are. So this, this is going to be a better breakdown looking at costs. Uh, significant impacts associated with adhesion and snow, each costing more than 100 million over the same period. So, so here we go. So the schedule 8 costs per weather category... 2006, 2021, for, for all of GB here. So wind is, is the most, it's over. So these numbers, really, these numbers are larger than the previous numbers, but I presume that the the, the impact categories is a, a more accurate assessment because these these numbers are obviously larger than the Schedule 4. Oh, these are Schedule 8 rather than Schedule 4. Uh, okay, that, anyway, that's not entirely clear. But anyway, basically, we could, I don't, Schedule 4 is long-term planned, so I don't, yeah. Ah, okay, right, sorry, I've been misreading. So, 26 million delay minutes over 1 billion of Schedule 8. So that's that's emergency. That's last-minute stuff. Schedule 8 is, is kind of last-minute. Over 1 billion. So that's the figure. That makes more sense. Um, so that's 1 billion plus another 200 million. There we go. That's my. That's me just not reading properly. People might have been pointed that out. Yeah, there we go. So that's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Will's point out. Schedule 4 is timetable rather than operational. Yeah, so so that's where you've impacted on the timetable, and it's kind of essentially pre-planned. Uh, like, like it's kind of known about before time. So anyway, so here are the Schedule 8 uh, payments. This is, this is of that 1 billion. So between 250 and 300 million pounds. Uh, so it's going to major part of it is for wind. Uh, kind of not far off, 100 million less than that is, is flood, over 200 million. Uh, snow is less than 150 million. Then, then it then kind of reduces adhesion, subs subsidence, heat, da 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 da. And it's worth noting these don't, these are the Schedule 8 costs, but they don't necessarily relate to the severity risk. Because you'd say that subsidence risks can be quite severe if those are not picked up and, and they call you know we've seen that landslides present a major risk to the safety of the railway so these are these, these are about the things that, that, that you, know, you have lots of small wind events can have quite a big impact um you know early on the east coast mainline being a key one but actually you know fl uh, subsidence and flood can have much more serious uh, safety impact so it's, it's worth kind of bearing that in mind fog is clearly a very minor issue uh, which is which is kind of worth paying attention to. But cold, heat, heat, you know, track buckles don't re represent much of an issue, possibly now because we've, we're getting on top of managing that risk uh, quite well. Um, anyway, so you can look here at um, at the performance. So so extremes, we got quite kind of, we were all right with it. And it's and it's elevated a lot in the last uh, couple of years that we've had a lot major service performance um, uh, impacts, um, 
Uh, let's see. Service performance under... Oh, actually, no. It's saying that we've got better in recent years. It's saying the... So this is PPM, the public performance measure, which is Network Rail's measure of how good, how well services run. And actually, it's saying that we've got a bit better at it. So we were pretty bad in 2017-18. And we've got kind of better at it more recently. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so there's, there's loads of good stats here. And you can see the Schedule 8 costs split again over those. This is just the same data from earlier, but sort of split uh, showing what the impact is over time. Actually, 2013-14, we had a lot of wind impacts. Um, and a lot of flood impacts. And you can see, again, that the, those subsidence impacts have increased, actually. Those those subsidence impacts seem to be... There's a trend of generally... That trend is generally increasing. So that's that's an interesting one to pick up in that data as well. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's there's just different ways of, of shaping the, the data. So here's the IPCC. There we are. Um, uh, this is actually looking at the... What's this number four? They're looking at the... Oh, yeah, that is referencing the sixth assessment report. So the, the, the kind of the, the provisional version of the report from last year, but actually the, the latest version obviously was released last week. Uh, yeah, the IPCC have identified in their latest climate science synthesis report that it's certain that global temperatures will continue to increase at, until at least 2050. Therefore, the risks to our network from a changing climate over the coming decades will remain. There's, there's, there's no way of avoiding it. We've screwed that one up. Um, the, the, the issues are going to be seriously problematic. Um, yeah, as someone else has pointed out that the reason for this spike in performance is because of how many fewer trains were running. Yeah, very, very good point. Um, Marley C, shout out to Marley C, very good point. That's why that's got better. So it should be interesting to see whether that was a continuing downwards trend or, or what that would have done had it not been for COVID. So that's why everything's anomalous, anomalously sort of shot upwards again. Let's see how it goes after that. Um, so anyway, this is talking about the general trends in, in the impact. So we've talked about this before in episode, so we won't dwell on this. Um, how are we responding to our changing climate? Um, well, this is this is talking about the fact they've got what they call in the seasonal weather management strategy. There's strategies and strategies and strategies that Network Rail have. Um, I'm sure people could talk at length about which ones they think are, are, are rational and sensible and viable and which ones are impactful and which ones are, are a bit of a talking shop. But there are lots of different these different impacts. And you can see this, this is just lots of fairly dry text explaining some of these strategies um, and how these different strategies interact with each other. 1.4, resilience and adaptation of post-COVID worlds. So this is talking about um, about this. Throughout its history, the railway has played a vital role in supporting and enabling the growth of the UK's economy by providing mass transport services for freight and passengers. Over this time, it has seen and adapted to many changes in the structure of the industry and the needs of its customers and other stakeholders. So it's like, oh yeah, COVID-19, uh, William Schatz revival club uh all these changes da, 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 strong environmental credentials however continuing reduction in passenger revenues has placed a great strain on public press this is where i'm like like alarm bells uh ringing because like yeah yeah yeah. but what's it doesn't mean that there needs to be less funding um but anyway by improving resilience and being adaptable to change, we'll continue to improve our efficiency, safety, and operational performance. This will increase our ability to deliver positive outcomes for customers, the communities in which we work, and the environment. That's fine. Um, before that, though, the paragraph before that, meeting the challenge of climate change is likely to require a combination of increased investment in resilience action and changes in operating practices. Okay. The uncertainties posed by the funding challenge and William Schatz's plan mean that committing to investment levels beyond those already agreed and or specifying process or structural changes too far into the future is not possible. Eh. That's a problem. Uh, in this report, we have therefore included currently funded and planned actions up to 2024 and sought to set our adaptation aims and pathway for future years in line with the climate change adaptation roadmap in our environmental sustainability strategy. That's some weasel words to say you're not giving us enough cash to really predict very far into the future. 2024 is two years away. Uh, 
not useful. Uh, yeah, Graham Harf is pointing out that uh, electrification is not just about electrification. I'm sure there's some chat going on about, about that here. Um, yeah, an electrified railway is a much more resilient railway for all sorts of reasons. Um, huge, huge amounts of stuff. Yeah, you know, all, all the other stuff that's built into that. Yeah, agreed. Um, absolutely, Graham. I fully agree. People say, oh, but electrification is prone to wind. Da, 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 da. No, not when you build new OLE. It's just the, it's, it's the bloody West Coast and East Coast main lines that fall over when the OLE gets blown around. Um, it's not, you'll find, the GWEP is not suffering from that. And so long as people pin down their bloody uh, trampolines, then we shouldn't have issues. Structure this report. So, yeah, 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 fine. Whatever. Right, section two, adaptation reporting power. So this is good grief. This is going to be the thing describing what ARP is. This is going to be really dry. We might whiz through this at high speed because it's going to be really, really dry. So this is just, it's, DEFRA has requested that Network Rail produce this report under the ARP requirements in the Climate Change Act 2008. Fine. The purpose of ARP is for key organizations in different market sectors to report on the steps they are taking to identify and adapt to climate risks. We're included as a vital part of the transport industry. So yeah, so that's basically uh, via DEFRA and the ORR, who's, who's obviously the regulator of, 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 of transport, well, road and rail, um, the, 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 the ARP thing is part of the Climate Change Act. So it's kind of a fundamental part of that legal requirement. And DEFRA have made that, that claim. So so fine. So that's... The, so the... Oh, yeah. The first one was 2011. Uh, and the second one was in 2016, which I think the 2015 report was in, in relation to. So, so yeah. So it was, it was number two one. Anyway, so they're, they're the two reports. Fine. Um, yeah. What can you expect from the report? Uh, it provides an update comprehensively sets out governance structure so it's kind of dry. this is quite dry stuff everyone we, we're not going to worry too much what's not included uh financial stuff carbon and transition risks uh it focuses on physical rather than transition risk transition risks consider the way in which uh changes in legislation markets and technology can impact the organization yeah they're not bothering with that and they're kind of rightly so this is talking about resilience uh physical resilience the way that infrastructure is going to survive um Someone knocked out the line to Southampton and beyond by chucking an e-scooter onto the third rail. Oh, weird. Strange. Anyway, um, right. Oh, well, that was short. It's done. We've finished chapter two, adaptation reporting power. That's it's done. We're now going to talk about governance and network rail, climate governance, chapter three. Uh, it's 1946, folks. This is, I don't want this to be a long one. Hopefully, it'll, we'll, we'll wrap up fairly short. Oh, so I need to take a drink. So, laying strong foundations. Right, okay, fine. Lots of headline stuff. There's nothing really new to say there. Our business structure. Okay, right. This is maybe useful because it's kind of a bit of a guide to, to Network Rail. My voice is breaking there. Network Rail um, and, and explaining how it works. So uh, Network Rail is a devolved organization with five regions supported by 14 routes. Yeah, we've, we've done that already. The managing director of each region is responsible for long-term planning and asset management plans and overseeing route directors who are responsible for delivery of operations, maintenance, and renewals. Well, that kind of makes sense. The routes are responsible for day-to-day -day delivery of train performance and work closely with their local train operating partners. Fine. Then you have national functions. So you've got the technical authority, which basically does like the standards uh, and, and kind of make sure that everything's done consistently and best practices shared. The system operator who who do all the, the network is unavoidably a network, a single network. So there's only so much devolution that you can do. You have to have a strong system operator, which is why it's bonkers that people are being sacked from it as we speak. Hundreds of them. Crazy stuff. Stop doing that, please. Anyway, right, enough of that. Um, uh, we have the root services, which kind of does stuff. Uh, I think gauging fits. Just gauging fit within root services. And IT is in there. Will, shout out to Will, who's in the chat. Hello. Uh, and then the central functions, which do other stuff like finance and, and HR and comms. Yeah, it's fine. Hello to the comms team. Lovely. Hello. Um, so that's fine. 
Um, but it says so some stuff about corporate governance. Well, dry, dry. Yeah, does this is this relevant? Board of directors reports to Secretary of State for Transport. Okay, fine. Strategy governance risk blah 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 blah. Okay, fine. Oh, weather resilience and climate change adaptation governance. So the governance, so that there's all the the strategic stuff happens. The delivery of our goal of a reliable railway service that is resilient to climate change is the responsibility of multiple teams and business units across NR and the wider rail industry. Okay. It all looks a bit fluffy. So it's describing sort of strategy and planning that happens at, at, at kind of um, network level, so top level. Asset management, asset management, which is generally happening at, at root level, but also it's led by the technical authority chief engineer. Okay. Operational weather management. Um, so that's led by the system operator. Okay, fine. Um, uh, the weather risk task force. Um, okay, so that's fine. Yeah, that's that's the the mayor report looking at earthworks, which I've referenced in my about to come out in rail. Actually, I've done a piece on on trees and earthworks, which hopefully will be an interesting read for everyone. Um, that seems to be spread across uh, various regional teams, and then the research, of course, is just everyone gets involved in the research analysis of technology and and, and tools. Lovely. So there's a lot. It's just showing that it's quite complicated, and, and kind of rightly so. You can't. There are different people at different levels that are going to be getting involved in this stuff. So this is where it is useful to have this sort of document to allow the strategy to be kind of directed. Um. So, oh, what's Michael C? What are you sent? What are you sending to people? Oh, some videos. Sometimes sky legend uh, explosion of the e-scooter. Okay, yeah, fine. Um. Okay, oh, this is this is dry, isn't it? Chief engineers. Okay, so this is just talking about engagement and collaboration, and it's it's not okay. Fine, fine. That's the government. This is just complicated. It's just saying network rail is really complicated, and unavoidably so because it's a railway, and you expect it to be complicated. And we try, and here is how we try to make the right people talk to the right other people. So chapter four: strategies and plans. This is okay. Let's see. So, um. Our vision is for a railway that's safe and more resilient to the effects of weather and climate change now and in the future. The desired outcome for our journey to resilience is presented in figure 4.1. So the plan is always to have infrastructure that's able to withstand the impact of future weather conditions, uh, an ability to rapidly recover from the impacts of adverse and extreme events. Fine. Um, the strategic outcomes of that, therefore, are that you have improved performance and safety during adverse and extreme weather conditions, that financial savings through reduced compensation payments and repair costs. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's, you know, that, that does make sense. Uh, you know, it's a good proxy, whether or not you care particularly about the money. It's a good proxy for just having efficiency. You, you, we have a limited supply of people to look after the railway. Ideally, you don't want them all to be running around like headless chickens, fixing bits that have fallen off. Um, ideally, you'd have them all just concentrating on the day to day of getting on top of maintaining it, the, the, the general maintenance of of an aging asset rather than having to worry about fixing all the landslips and clogged up drainage and so on and then ultimately that results in an enhanced reputation and trust in the railway's ability to manage weather events ideally we want you know the ultimate aim is we want a railway that that actually is the go-to way to travel around in in extreme weather events rather than where we've we've seen recently where it's falling down all too often you know i, I would like a situation where in extreme weather events people are encouraged not to drive but to rely on public transport as the safe way to get around that would be that'd be great if we could do that um, we can only do that if we're robust, resilient, um, and 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 provide you know in terms of how uh, staffing is always a challenge on that front because expecting staff to to drive however they generally get to it, but bus or drive to the station or to the depot or to uh, wherever it is that you know to their place of maintenance might well you know that's where the risk is often in, in why the railway ends up shutting down but we need to i think we should have strategies to overcome that because ultimately i'd like it to be in 10 15 years time where we are dealing with this is just folks this is just the warm-up the extreme weather events the two storms we've just had 
that's just like that's just table stakes at this point we're looking at like that, that's just going to be the norm we're going to see storms like that increasing and, and get those are going to be the normal storms you expect a couple of times a month with much worse things happening that's what the ipcc reports are showing so we need to not be shutting down the railway two or three times a month we need to be that we need to be running the railway as normal with a full timetable during those sorts of storm events uh, scary though that may sound so that requires planning uh, and so yes, you've got all these sort of the the, the kind of the, the short term, uh, short medium term operational seasonal resilience. So yep, fine, minimizing the seasonality bump, excellently implementing key route strategies. That doesn't that's just garbled nonsense. I don't know what that means. Uh, avoiding or excellently managing major incidents. This excellently managing, excellently implementing, excellent. It's a bit jargony, isn't it? I'm sure there's some meaning of that but i don't like it i don't like jargony phrases like that the, the word excellent has a meaning you don't need to turn it into a scientific word oh yes replace like for better rather than like for like well that's always i've always pointed that out but network has never funded to do that adapt at construction and at asset renewal yep for sure but we get again this, the trouble is we do this as engineers we try and do this and then we always get pulled back from the brink drainage is an example it's like ah you said you're gonna want to renew the drainage but can we just not do that Nah, let's just not do that. Don't renew the drainage because you were trying to do this to a shoestring budget. Okay, well, here's your plan. So the good thing is this. So the designers out there, Lewis, if you're watching or listening, um, this document is what you can refer to if someone tells you off for ensuring that you're capturing, uh, if you're doing a decent design to, to minimize the, you know, to provide a good long-term asset. This report is probably a good one to cite. Um, climate change considerations are embedded in business as usual through updated policy standards and procedures. It'd be nice if we had an accessibility one like this, because then I could talk about level boarding being part of it. That's something which we'll note about that later on, by the way. Uh, interdependencies are understood and managed in collaboration with the rail industry, infrastructure operators, government and other stakeholders. So, this, OK, there's all some good stuff. Um, but again, it comes down. It does come unavoidably comes down to funding, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, Constantly saying excellent makes it sound like a secondary school, uh, an academy, in fact, says Richard Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ofsted, well, quite. Anyway, uh, right, so strategy stuff. There's some stuff about the, the, the sustainability strategy core priorities. Low emission railway, reliable railway, service resilient to climate change, fine. Uh, th that's one and two. Three, improved biodiversity of plants and wildlife, fine. Four, minimal waste and use of, uh, and the use of materials, fine. And five, uh, social value framework. Uh, yeah, lovely, fine, good. That, that's all good stuff. Uh, climate change adaptation. Ah, oh, here we are, graphics. That's what we want for a, 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 a podcast with slides. Uh, 2020, fine. There's some stuff. There's the strategic assessments. It's control period uh, six, which is now. So we're now at the point where we, the 2024 outcome is that we should have tools, frameworks, standards, and information in place for strategic business planning. Okay. Um, so understand it. So before that point, we should have un we should have a systems should be able to understand the cost of climate change adaptation and embed it in whole life costing. Okay, fair enough. I'm not seeing that happening. Uh, work in partnership with neighbours and external stakeholders to identify opportunities for pilot projects. Uh, not really seen that, but we might see some of that later in the report. Okay, fine. Uh, regions undertake climate risk assessments for assets and priority locations to feed into next control period. Okay, I presume that work is ongoing. Um, and, and before the end of before 2024, we also need to conduct criticality and vulnerability mapping of all assets around the, across the network. Again, that's sensible, it's like a, basically a heat map of like, this is a really problem area. We need to focus resources on here. That, that sounds sensible. Um, and then you can see, so we'll take note. Here's, the, here's where it would be very useful to have the centerline 
model they're running because <laughs> there's another use case is that you can put a heat map on top of the centerline track model um to uh to actually enable uh, enable a quick way to see that to visualize that you know it, it helps for planners to be able to visualize where, where problems are uh, and then by the end of control period seven we've got things like um you know metrics that that, that track resilience benefits of, of our investment okay it feels like that should be a thing we can already do Agreed levels of service in extreme weather conditions with government and regulators. That feeds back into a bit what I was saying earlier. Um, change of regulatory funding. Uh, I don't know that is is that requires approval, but that's clearly a, a, a wannabe thing there. Uh, interesting. Government make money available to implement regional pathways. Uh, there's there's another star. That's a treasury requires treasury approval. All the things with stars in it are like the because uh, treasury are going to get involved and obviously say no. Um, and then what other stuff we've got? Adaptation and resilience is a driver for investment. Absolutely. You'd hope that's happening. It should be already, for goodness sake. Regions develop long-term adaptation pathways. Fine. So then CP8, which is up to 2034, which is like very much a, we should be halfway through electrifying everything point of time. Uh, it's just a review and update policy situation and implement regional adaptation pathway strategies thing. And then beyond 2034, so beyond control period eight, um, is sort of saying that, uh, yeah, it's another review. Beyond that point, it's saying passengers and freight can get to their destination during poor weather. So the point of it is saying that beyond 2034, the, the hope is that with these strategies, this framework of strategies, Network Rail will be able to do the thing I said earlier, which is be relied upon to get people and things around in, in extreme weather events. Because let's face it, um, regular uh, regular weather, uh, you know, the, the, the two storms we've had are going to be the norm. So we need to be able to survive that. We can't shut the railway down twice to three times a month. Okay, that was a good little slide. Good stuff. Uh, here are the key, key five, the five pillars of key work streams for resilience. So strategy and planning. Fine, yeah, you have to kind of plan. Uh, operational weather management. Yep, that's key. We saw, you know, that was one of the key mistakes that resulted in the carment derailment was actually the, the, the weather management, the, the dealing with multiple incidents at once. So that, that is really key. Uh, asset management engineering. That's kind of the bit that, that, that I'm involved in in my day job as a des and, and as designers and then all the people in asset management. That's the stuff we have to do in, 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 in making sure the physical stuff does what it's supposed to be doing. Um, the task force, so that's looking at the, the kind of generally looking at risks. So you've got um, implementation of the recommendations from the, the mayor report and, and the Slingo report, uh, Dame Julia Slingo's report as well. Those two, um, and the Earthworks Sprint. I don't know what the Earthworks Sprint is. I presume it's a, a, something else that's going on in the background that I've not, not really heard about. Um, uh, HMT happening mostly not. Yes, quite. Matt Reed, this is just a thought. NR have a lot, have a lot of vans. Is there anything in here about having cut their company emissions? Yeah, they are switching to EVs, but frankly, it's a pretty trivial. It's a pretty trivial um, amount of emissions to worry about, really. Um, research and analysis. Uh, common under. So yeah, there's there's the research stream. So strategy and planning. One uh, operational man weather management. Two, uh, three asset management and engineering, uh, and four uh, weather risk task force. Uh, fine, and then number five is research and analysis. So then feedback that has to obviously then feed back into the others. So that's that's kind of fair enough. Okay, fine. Oh, lots of words. Uh, Look into the future. This is, this is just words it's about the wisp. The wisp. I'm already very unhappy about because it looks like the wisp is going to end up just being like a bigger version of William Shatz without any without any kind of hard. This is what the railway will look like stuff. So I'm, I'm, uh, I have to say my hope in the WISP being the thing that I keep asking for of a plan, a long-term plan. It doesn't look like it's going to be that, which is frustrating. But anyway, um, so here we are. So looking at these, so what is this? Uh, some action plans. So the CP5 route plans, uh, CP6 route plans. So these are looking at like emissions scenarios, projection time periods, uh, baseline data, 
61 to 90. Oh, yeah, crikey, of course it would be. So, yeah, this is just talking about the baseline data that's being used and the way that, uh, yeah, so so they're just describing the way that they've been uh, building up these uh, weather resilience and climate change adaptation plans on a on a, a route wide basis, um, which is interesting. So fine, lots of text. Okay, fine. Key actions to manage risks. So yeah, okay. So oh, here's some examples of of, of uh, activity examples of activities that we're talking about that that physically happen that manage risks. So programs of drainage renewal and refurbishment to reduce the risk of flooding, uh, reduce the risk of flooding. Slope stabilization renewal of earthworks to reduce the risk of landslips. Investment to reduce the risk of bridge scour. So from you know higher water flood flood water kind of uh, waterway flow rates uh, can result result in bridge scour, which is obviously critical. Coastal estuarine and river defence improvements. So where you got water washing at the railway, whether it's at the coast or next to a river. Uh, enhanced maintenance of vulnerable track locations and OLE systems to combat high temperature impacts. So um, remodeling station throats that have knackered rubbish track that's not stressable, you know, un- getting rid of all unstressed track areas where, where possible jointed track is useless in hot weather. And then likewise with OLE, making sure that OLE is tensioned, is auto-tensioned or whatever to make sure that it's sufficiently resilient. Uh, veg management plans to mitigate wind impacts. So that's that's explicitly stating have, getting rid of trees that could fall into the railway good i'm glad they're explicitly stating that well okay implicitly stating that they're not explicitly stating it but they're as explicitly stating as any network rail document will given how uh, sensitive a subject it is um uh, funding of research to better understand the weather impact risks and prevention yet fine and then installation of remote condition monitoring to improve proactive asset management and operational responses there's a good list of things that's that's a decent list of of kind of examples of things that network rail can be doing so that's kind of useful to to pick that out i know that it's two minutes past eight um here's some graphics uh, that are very small can we zoom in on this without me screwing everything up let's let's go in here let's see so we've got um yeah, looking at the different design disciplines ish. So MEP, uh, looking at some of the kind of the functions, buildings and civils. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of that, that structures drainage. It's interesting drainage is there rather than down here. Yeah, they take they took drainage out and made it a buildings and civils thing recently, but the civils don't have a clue how to do drainage. So bit of a weird one. Geotechnics is there as well. That often used to sit with us. So they've taken it all away. So we're just stuck with our track and S and C, which um which is fine because you know. Uh, it's good <laughs> fine there's enough for us to keep busy with um uh there we are tracking s and c fine uh control command signaling so that's the three c's really control command and communications and blah blah, blah. so that's the stuff that stuff there systems engineers so traction rolling stock and plant uh stuff in there actually it's funny yeah me but but not p p is down here so it's a bit of a strange way to split it out but anyway uh, i think that is sort of how the new standard split is set up to sort of fit that way I think those also map onto the TSIs. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But anyway, um, anyway, yeah. So let's just do that again. So fine. There's there's a load of things that, that, that that's that's the way it's split. And I, and there's here there's some risk assessments saying what all these different things need to do. And that's kind of related to what we we're talking about a minute ago. Um. So so yeah. Fine. So. This is the 4.4 actions speak louder than words. In setting our vision, strategies, priorities, and ambitions, we understand that actions speak louder than words. Over time, delivering meaningful action will help us continue to demonstrate that our strategy and governance on climate resilience and adaptation is being implemented effectively. Okay, fine. Whoa there. Well, here is a thing. Here's a sort of Gantt chart situation going on with a with the, the there's the 2016, 2021, 2026, 2031. So these are the measurement points of saying, right, this is where these things need to be getting delivered. And it's saying all the different things that are supposed to be getting delivered when. Again, the point of this is to allow allow um, network rail to be held accountable for the process uh, by DEFRA, in fact, not not by not by DFT, but by DEFRA to make sure they're doing all the things they need to do. And you can see lots of stuff here. I'm going to put it on screen so you can all see it. 
but obviously um i'm not going to read through it because it's four minutes past eight and also because uh there's, there's lots of detail there but the point of this I'm, I'm not reading through the thing that um uh yeah it's it, i'm not reading through this in detail although obviously there's the audio only people high audio only people um but the point is it's a bit of a, a allow you to go in and pick out the detail yourselves on the pdf you can go and download the pdf yourselves uh, you just have to search for third climate adaptation report actually search network rail climate adaptation report and you'll get it uh and a bit of an assessment of how how you um yeah, so there's apparently there's an ISO standard that actually allows Network Rail to measure how successfully they're doing this stuff, you know, to measure how robust their approach is. Uh, the Climate Change Committee, the UK CCC, has uh, recognised the adaptation planning as, as being decently advanced, which is good. So that, that is that does reflect well on Network Rail. Um, the ORR did, commissioned an independent review, which said that there are many strengths to the current uh, weather resilience, uh, uh, climate change adaptation plans. Good, that's that's good stuff. Um so that is good. That is gives confidence that Network Rail are doing the right thing, and I think they are. They, you know, they're not funded well enough to do it, but I think generally Network Rail are doing all right on this stuff. Um, so, uh, so here we are, and here's how they then monitor impact by all these different things. So obviously, there's the obvious one that they use public performance measure, the standard sort of measure of of how much trains are running around as they are supposed to, uh, is the kind of the standard overall measure of performance. Fine. Uh, things like delay minutes is another way. Then, then assessing against the strategies and then metrics about performance. So things like that. Uh, actually, I was, I've been quoting bits of it. I need to quote more bits of it. The um, the annual returns, Network Rail annual returns. It's a spreadsheet that you can download every year, and it has a load of stuff of how much they're updating. You know, the condition of uh, it gives measures of condition of, of earthworks across routes and then across the network as well. So, so there are things that you can you know the, the metrics there. That was so. That's now. Let's have a look at chapter five, and we're going to hammer through this because it's getting late. Uh, risk assessment process. So it's talking about yeah, it's a fine, good grief. There is some stuff. It's a very large. They're calling it our CRAM. CRAM stands for Corporate Risk Assessment Matrix. And good grief, it is crammed. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it, but it, it's there. So just there we go. Fine. And there's loads of stuff about enterprise risk records. Uh, I don't know. Don't know what that is. Fine. Climate risk assessment process. There's lots of stuff looking at causes and consequences. Fine, okay, we're going to whiz through this. Uh, so this is kind of looking at the disruption, the co looking at causes, looking at consequences, and understanding controls. Uh, they're calling it this a bow tie assessment. That's quite neat, but fine. Uh, the National Climate Change Risk Assessment Influence on RARP. So that's to do with the, the, the CCC and the advice it's been publishing to government. Um, and and so, so this is the stuff, this is the in infrastructure sector risks, and then these, and then what, how they're relevant to the network rail. Uh, strategy or the network rail arp that we you know i keep saying arp it's, this is this is kind of what this is really um this report is, is kind of a, a describing the arp uh so there we are fine lovely oh david shepherd can you post a link to the report in the description uh uh yes i i can do uh yeah uh matt reed is saying will all the targets be allowed to be changed when the name company is changed uh, pr pr presumably yeah um uh, how have we assessed climate risk for ARP3? So there's just describing how the... Okay, fine. Defining assets in the risk assessment. Okay, this, the, this is all looking at different sort of managed you know, kind of risk storing, scoring matrix. So looking at different numbers here and how you score these things. This is just describing the process, how they go against each cram, the cram, that thing earlier. Modified cram used in the chief engineer's risk assessment. There you are. So that, that's fine. Then it's worth looking through these to sort of see how they're assessed, but it's not worth dwelling on them because it's all quite finicky. So that's, that's the approach to assessing the climate change risk. Interdependency. So this is how all the different things relate to each other. We cannot create, cre we cannot create a resilient railway in isolation from the wider world. Managing 
acknowledging our risks and opportunities will need the engagement of support from and collaboration with a considerable range of organisations that operate in and influence numerous UK sectors. Without this, we will not be able to implement many aspects of our climate strategies and adaptation actions in the most efficient, appropriate or effective way. Fair enough. So they've got some case studies in here which are interesting. And uh, this is an example of where they're having to interact with um, what was British Waterways and I now think is, is, is Scottish Waterways or Waterways Scotland. Whatever the Scottish version of it is, it's not been... Uh, it's not been divested in the way that um, British, the British Canal Trust or whatever it is now called, what was British Waterways and should still be British Waterways um, is. Anyway, so, uh, so let's talk about an interdependency. Fine. Okay, study three, power dependency. Yep, obviously. So, so lightning-induced power cut, which happened in August 19, uh, caused issues. Uh, and case study three is interdependent systems, specifically looking at um, uh, the River Loon, uh, record flow, Oaleep draws power from the sources from sources outside the flooding. So we could still run trains, but the station was closed. Ah, okay. So the station was closed because of a lack of lighting because they were relying on local power, but the Oaleep was still able to run. So that's talking about the interdependence of different power systems. So um, and loss of power to the Vodafone Centre, which provides emergency mobile signal coverage. So you see there's some some challenges there uh, during in December 2015. So you can see the interdependency. So that's some interesting uh, kind of uh, case studies there. Um, and and yeah, again, they're talking about how they how they kind of uh, categorise these risks. Oh, there's another very crazy graphic. They, these, these are some seriously uh, interesting and crazy graphics. But this is just showing countless different sectors and how they all interact with each other so like what is this road air, road transport ports the local authorities business oh, you name it it's within this and there's a bit of a description of what the interdependencies are and the the and there and the colors here so the blue refers to depending people people who depend on network rail the green is people who network rail depend on and then the the yellow is that there's a codependency so there's an interaction there a back and forth interaction it's kind of not a bad way to visualize what's quite a complicated series of ideas so again get that page up and you can you can kind of look at it in detail uh, but that's quite interesting all right and then looking at look actually looking at climate change risks so this is where they look at the kind of the key risks which is interesting so uh things like precipitation you know sea level rise coastal erosion flooding temperature storm and wind events these are kind of the key there's basically just four of them there the, the key kind of climate variable groups as they say so sorry i just needed to you know like drink i'm talking a lot it's a solo episode and it's a report page turn so i always lose my voice um oh so gareth williams is asking what happens in the case of oil failure at night there are different things happen some uh, newer units generally have a, an on an onboard power battery to keep things going but sometimes train the train just goes you know older units that are not even that old just like previous generation units often just just it's just game over lights off um if they lose power um so uh, are underground metro services less prone to weather problems not necessarily no not particularly um Oh, what else? So we've got, um, so this is then breaking down each of those. So that these are the four headline variable groups that they're talking. And then each of these then has a, a kind of a breakdown of the different, uh, the different pressures. So, so, so precipitation, you've got uh, long wet days and seasons uh, and the impacts of that fluvial river and, and pluvial uh, flooding. So that's like river and surface water flooding, uh, high and low soil moisture. So that's, that's very important. Um, intense and heavy rainfall, so that the kind of the impact. So that the differences between long, 
um, wet days and seasons and intense and heavy rainfall, they have slightly different impacts, longer term impacts. So, you know, the longer term stuff can have longer term impacts on earthworks. The short term stuff can have impact on drainage um, and, and, and things like that. And then snow and ice, of course, as an impact with precipitation. So that's the precipitation one. And then they've gone down and broken each of these into scores of, of the risk. And you can see there's some s severe risks associated with it. So that's a balance, as with any risk assessment, it's a balance of probability and severity and that gives you your uh, the risk and you see, you see some of the severe risks here so things like uh, um the, the the fact that thing and this is also in relation to t the time time frame as well so the current 2050s and 2080s so so again and this happened and then you've got some an example a case study four is their watford collision which i wrote about before which i'd written about before carmen happened and then obviously carmen happened it's an example of a severe issue, uh, you know, a severe impact, a potential trains, train head-on collision as a result of a precipitation failure. Um, and then some more London, uh, flash flooding at London Euston. And so, um, and then Carmen actually is uh, a case study here. So they've actually looked at it as a case study. So it's well worth having a look at. And the Harrington sinkhole, uh, the, the sinkhole that opened up um, uh, in 2018 at Harrington. So it's just, you know, some very strange behaviours. Uh, other kind of impacts so so that's a really good there's some really good detail here if you want to understand how the railway is impacted a bit like we did for the rail now this would have been a good reference for it actually um these really this really breaks down with some key uh, kind of case studies of what what those impacts can be so again if you're working on the railway this is a good reference document so this is then looking at uh, sea level rise and coastal erosion and flooding and again it's the same thing sea level rise coastal erosion uh, coastal flooding storm surges and then again, it's a matrix of the of the risks going forward. And you see the risk is actually lower than for the precipitation-related things. But again, looking at seawalls, so the Parton seawall here on the Cumbrian coast, the Dover to, Dover to Folkestone failure that happened, um, and the, the impacts there. Uh, yeah, it's just looking at the weird state of the railway there. Anyway, it's very strange. And then and then the next one uh, is temperature and the impacts of temperature. So then that's uh, you know heat waves, extreme heat, extreme colds, higher general average temperatures, and sun glare actually, which is an issue. More sun glare, more signal sighting issues. Um, and again, looking at the severity of these things, um, and and actually the severe impacts are things like um, deterioration of turret tunnel material. Uh, by 2080, that's going to be a severe risk, but not quite as severe as the repeated periods of hot and of shrinkage of the cycles of of of, of, of shrinkage you get um, from soils, resulting in deterioration track and performance impact. So that's that, there's some serious uh, issues there. Uh, you got some issues from trap buckles as an example of some that's a, an obvious impact uh, and uh, some general heat heat waves case study talking about the impacts um, and there's things of passenger staff welfare uh, pressure of that and so that's something else that has to be thought about as well without power air conditioning failed making it hard to control temperature yeah so this is talking about the um, damage to oily was uh, caused a passenger uh, caused there's a typo there never mind a passenger service to become stranded near Peterborough so it's, it's talking about the issues there uh temperature impacts on electrification assets and vegetation it's a very good detailed document here with lots of references here then storm and wind events you know some of the obvious things um overtopping of of, of coastal sea defenses uh, lightning these sorts of events and then again a risk a risk assessment and again the worst here is looking at erosion scour loss of stability um of of sea defenses from from high winds and storms so again we're going through all these storm impacts there's a shed on the railway standard uh, the York Lightning Strike is actually here. I remember that. Went pop, made the rock go pop. The rock went pop. wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> it was, a, in fact, a disaster. 19,000 delay minutes, causing serious inconvenience to thousands of passengers, costing over 3.2 million in delay compensation payments. Yeah, I remember that happened. So that's a really good section, actually. I know I've whizzed through it, but there's, there's loads of good detail in there for you to explore. 
Um, uh, yes. So now this is where this is where we look at progress on those actions from the previous reports. This is ARP three. The previous report was ARP two, and we can look at the the measured uh, the kind of what has been you know, when things were supposed to be done and whether they've been achieved. Um, develop and publish long term route studies. <coughs> not achieved work is ongoing never mind uh develop cp6 asset policies uh complete ish this one uh develop uh, publish cp6 strategic business plans that has been completed good fine um uh, so that's good Th those are the key kind of um planned actions and they kind of so so mixed bag there it looks like 50 50 in terms of what hasn't has not been done um so the progress and then again we've got another big graphic here showing progress of things that um uh, kind of on the actions so this is kind of talking well they've just kind of put it there i don't know whether they've how they're measuring the progress there's just a lot of stuff there but anyway they're just listing stuff uh, it's too late for us to go into the great details of that but you know the, given that how much things like the west have been delayed uh, network rail and all the changes all this, the industry changes just are a, a massive hampering problem for achieving some of this stuff because with all the changes all the staff you know literally staff being sacked who will have been working on this because um because of government's uh, stupidity and short-termism some stuff about standards guidance fine 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 collaboration engagement blah 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 research analysis just a general overview of what has and has not been achieved fine uh and this is going down into kind of region route actions and what has been managed and this is going into some some selected examples of, of successes actually so so i'm not going to i'm not going to read any of them out because otherwise i want to read all of them out but you can see this this, this is so 8.2.7 in the report uh in fact sorry just just generally 8.2 and beyond goes into the details so page 95 onwards you're looking at details for each of the different things some case studies of changes that have been made some good examples here of things of, of money being spent and changes being made to deal with uh, resilience of the different kind of key headline issues that we looked at before the f those four headlines of precipitation uh sea level rise coastal erosion coastal flooding temperature and storm and wind events uh and kind of looking at those actions on a kind of a route by route basis so there's some good good examples there um and and then looking at planned actions for, for what's going on ahead yeah another one of these sort of things describing what the planned actions are for the next five years so things that need to be happening sort of imminently uh interesting yeah fine uh strategies okay lots of stuff about what's happening last minute action plans the uh, case study so this is talking about route plans and how the route plans influence so this is a case study of looking at the interaction of the plan with the, the challenge so this is saying this is just yeah trying to the point of this report is to make that point to, i suppose it's partly a tool to go to treasury and say look this this is happening and you need to fund to solve these problems unless you want the railway to collapse the trouble is the treasury does want the railway to collapse so possibly the industry is making a rod for its own back here but anyway so here's a summary ah this is so so 8.3.6 is useful because it gives you a proper a, a summary of actions and completion dates for us to be able to look at and hold network rail accountable then we get to the conclusion. So, okay, we're, we're nearly on. It's twenty, nearly 2020 in time. So, eh, fine. Um, right, so here's the kind of the key conclusions. Uh, so, uh, the, the saying that we have a good understanding of the risks our network will be vulnerable to from the climate changing climate. I think that's true. Network Rail do have a pretty good understanding of what the problems are now. Um, they next say, uh, we have made good progress so far in relation to embedding climate risk into our organisation at a strategic and management level. Um so that kind of okay yes there's an understanding of it but i don't think there's enough of an understanding at the top level um still a lot of people looking too much at how do we spend less and not enough at uh looking at that as the target rather than 
how do we make the railway work better? And then the, the good stuff like efficiencies will just come as a happy side effect. I think that's, yeah, okay, mixed mixed bag on that. Uh, we have, they also say, we have also impl implemented a range of adaptation measures across our routes at the most vulnerable areas to respond to previous climate events. Yep, fine, I can, there are some case studies, not everywhere, but fine. But they also say, we still have work to do to prepare the railway infrastructure to minimise the impacts of climate change by 2050. Well, that's a given, isn't it? So, fine. That's a, that's a nice little little summary of the, of the conclusion there. And that's it. That's the report. We've just got some appendices there. There we are. Happy days. The end of the report. So, uh, that was the report. I, I think that's hopefully a useful whiz through. I, I know we didn't go into lots and lots of detail in there, but it was supposed to just be a bit of a summary, a bit of a, a, route fi a way finding exercise for people who maybe want to dive into the report in more detail. If I don't do so, please remind me to put a, a link in the description. But just Google Network Rail Climate Adaptation Report and you'll get this link. So it's, it's, not, it's not a hard thing to find. And get rid of my muggins because uh, it's the end of the show. Uh, thank you, everyone, for... Um, uh, well, let me just let me just do this and then switch my cursor off. There we go. Fine. Uh, thanks everyone for for listening. Uh, we're available on all good podcasting platforms. Uh, I generally keep on top of the update update uploads. They they sometimes they're maybe a few days late. They're never on time, specifically on time, because I have to wait for YouTube to finish processing, and then I can download. I have to download it from YouTube because if I do it, well, for these obviously live ones, there's no other way. But even when I do pre-record ones, if I do it straight from the MP4. Uh, I, for, for whatever reason, it just doesn't process the... Anyway, so it's better for me to download it from YouTube. But YouTube is stupid and it and, and limits bandwidth. So it only allows me to download it from YouTube very, very, very slowly. So, uh, yeah, so sometimes I can... Sometimes I'll do it 10, 15 minutes after. Sometimes I'll have to do it a couple of days after. Anyway, blah, blah, um, Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis for, for, to support me and make more of this happen. Uh, thanks, everyone. Oh, I haven't updated the, 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 the list of people. I did it a couple of weeks ago. I think it's mostly up to date. Not that many changes. Uh, but shout out to all of you supporting. You're brilliant. I, I, you, all of you who support. Uh, Graham, I'm looking at you, uh, particularly uh, the, the Rail Matter returning champion. Uh, but everyone who supports on Patreon, uh, every little bit is welcome. It's just, it's super cheap. It's not like expensive. You can do it for a quid. You can do a quid a month and you get some bonus things and you get to chat exclusively to me and it's much easier for the Patreon people to prod me about things. And um, and generally you get a sway on future episodes, although it might not feel like it at the moment because it's been a bit of a chaotic start to the year. And I know we're, we're short. There are lots of guests I need to find and source and get. VLR being a good example of one. Um, uh, merch. There is a new mug going to be appearing very soon. Uh, the um, Abolish the Treasury mug is coming soon, folks. It's coming soon. John Stone of this parish uh just said goddammit i want it so it's and others of you've been requesting it's coming it's coming and do make requests for any other sort of merch that you want particularly if you're patreon you can you can i will have to pay attention to you um for what other merch you might want um but but funny things to put on mugs seem to be quite popular so so do suggest those uh paypal.me slash gareth dennis every now and then people drop me a little penny or two on there it's it's, it's much appreciated um uh, and garethdennis.co.uk slash discord for the, the discord server where all the chat that's been happening continues to happen it's worth saying if you are going to do a paypal don't do it to me at the moment uh, don't donate food or stuff to ukraine uh, there are a variety of uh, good sources where you can go and find good places to donate cash if you wanted to ukraine if you want to make a difference there are lots of uh, funds on there that you can choose to support but don't don't if you can don't send stuff because actually stuff isn't that useful and it ends up often rotting in a warehouse uh, often in the UK, not in 
uh, or, or wherever you happen to be, not in the place it's supposed to go. I, I'm seeing lots of efforts of communities to to, to put bo- shoeboxes together. I did so many shoebox things when I was a kid. In fact, the first time I was doing shoeboxes was to send stuff to Bosnia. And what a waste of time that was. It's just, it, it makes us feel good, but it's not actually any use to the people. Sending a, like a cuddly toy and a tin of baked beans is just not any use to anyone. So don't do that. Just donate cash. Um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's, that's, my, that's my request. On the theme of uh, the climate emergency and decarbonisation, the way the railway's responding to it, tomorrow there is a PWR technical seminar. If you are in the Manchester area or fancy travelling over by train, um, uh, okay, it's 150 quid for non-members to go and and, and do it. But if you have those means, or ideally if work will pay for it, if you work in the industry and and work will pay for it, the Permanent Way Institution... um, uh, technical seminar uh, is happening. It's a it's a full day event at the Manchester Conference Centre. Go to that, and there should be some very interesting uh, presentations there. And and the pre- what we've just talked about should be absolutely relevant to that. So that should be interesting. Yes, Richard Am. Uh, Richard has uh, done uh, part of his MSc. Part of their MSc work is uh, is to create this this really nice um, inclusive design proposal document. It's it's very, it's very good. It's very good. Uh, in fact, let's just drag this over here uh it's if we go in yeah lovely 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 it's just nice it's got it's got these um uh i don't know what i'm what i'm revealing there actually in, in fact I should probably have checked all my revealing in anyway it's fine uh none of you saw any of that so anyway it's fine uh three three yeah, so there there and and, and d- d- fine 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 you, there's the there this 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 and this and, and it's, it's a very nice document um uh, it, it's it's good. It's the talk about costs, and it, it's very nice. And I've I've helped him support it with some statistics and stuff. And it's 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 very nice indeed. It's, it's good stuff. Um, uh, yes. So so uh, that's that's nice. Uh, do yeah. Mend the gap is very good. I like it. It is very nice. Um, uh, Dave Frankel has done a moving on from that. Dave Frankel has done a um, uh, a video uh, about well, basically his interview with me, uh, including me and Alex Sobel, uh, the kind of the uh, Leeds MP. Uh, and we're talking about uh, IRP versus particularly West Yorkshire. Uh, it's quite an interesting little interview. Uh, thanks, David, for doing that one. It was quite a while ago, but he's, he uploaded it on February 16th. Um, go in and have a look. Have a watch. You can uh, go just go into David's uh, channel and you'll find it nice and easily. Um, so, yeah, do that. Uh, and talking of which, I can officially reveal... Uh, I'm going to be in front of the um, the uh, the transport select committee next week. I'm going to be give I'm going to be in an oral evidence session um, on the 9th of March on the morning. It's the the, the 9 a.m. session uh, actually. Wait a minute. I can I can do I can do that. Uh, 9 a.m. Uh, there we are. Uh, that's probably what I want to do, isn't it? Lovely. Uh, there we go. Marvellous. Yes, I am. It's me uh, appearing in front of the Transport Select Committee. So um, uh, it won't be on BBC Parliament, but it will be on Parliament.tv. So you can search par- Parliament. You will be able to go onto the Parliament web, the, 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 the Parliament.tv website, which has all the different sessions. Um, how feisty do I plan on being? Uh, I'm going to be very well behaved so that people listen to the words I'm saying. But if they try and pull on me what they did on Andy Burnham, uh, fireworks. Anyway, let's see how that goes, shall we? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be up with a few other people, so I might not have much chance to say things. We'll see. Uh, I'll be there. I'll, I'll interject where I feel like it's necessary to do so. Um, 
Uh, I'm nervous, but I'm excited. It's an opportunity for, for me to, to, to make a difference, I think. So that, that should be interesting. Can you imagine it? Just some old muggins like me in front of the Transport Select Committee in an oral evidence session. Let's see what happens. Um, talking of which, and re relevant to next week's episode, uh, I didn't actually plug this last week um, because uh, I was on Trash Future. Uh, I was on It's the Free One. Uh, when was it? Last week? Two weeks ago? Um, yeah, so go go and listen to that. It was, it was a fun episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dave's saying, hopefully, by appearing in front of the TSC won't harm my career. I don't think so. I don't think so. I care very deeply about the railway industry, and uh, ultimately, that's my aim. I, I, I will be moaning, no matter who's in, in charge, I will be moaning about their bad decisions. Just so happens to be that the government are the ones in charge, and they're conservatives, and they're making very bad decisions. Treasury have always been the problem. So, um, yeah, we'll see. So, uh, yeah, go listen to Trash Future. And it's all about uh, TFL's funding uh, being stripped back and, uh, and relevant to the nonsense about driverless tubes, which is also uh, tube trains, which is also relevant because next week we're going to be talking about why driverless tube trains will never work, why it's a stupid idea, uh, why the numbers are <clears throat> all against it. Um, uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, that should be an interesting one. We'll talk about driverless tube trains. It'll be based on, yeah, I'll just be talking about my article that I wrote um, whenever it was last year, and, and I'll kind of pull in some of the statistics behind that and some of the data, and it'll be a bit of a Q&A session. So it, it, it won't be like a super detailed many, many slides one. It'll be a bit of an open Q&A where we can talk about it. Should be interesting. Um, hopefully I'll be able to do that. Uh, it might turn into, a, I, I, it might end up being a panicked pre-record if I end up being in London the whole time. My plan is to get back from the TSE to, to York by uh, by the end of the day so I can um, deliver this one live. So that, that's the plan. Uh, we'll see. Anyway. Oh, it's got big face. So that was that was a rail natter. It was an hour and a half rail natter. Sorry, everyone, that, that went on a bit, but uh, hopefully it was interesting. I know we spent a bit of time on the news. Um, I will see you all. I'll see some of you in uh, five minutes because we're about to have a meeting about some Network 2050 stuff. So uh, hello, everyone who's going to be in that. But after that, um, uh, I will see uh, see some of you, all of you, hopefully a good chunk of you um, next week for another Rail Natter. Uh, in the meantime, um, don't do too much doom scrolling. I will, yeah, yeah just take uh, take good care of yourselves, frankly, and um, and I'll I'll see you next time. Cheerio, lovelies. Cheerio. Cheerio.